Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Jason. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective Church, and this is one of the unique mediums that we are using to gather and stay connected during this unexpected time. So whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or this is a replay, whatever it is that you're going through right now, know that we so believe that God meets us where we are at. And that in this unexpected time, we are gathering through the week in some unique ways and here on Sunday morning, but all of them are spaces that we are creating so that we can discover life in Jesus and do that together. I hope you've had a great weekend so far. Yesterday was April 25th, not too hot, not too cold, maybe just a light jacket for our miscongeniality buffs. But I hope that this Sunday is gonna be an even better one and we get an opportunity to engage together. Last week, we started a new series where we are going in and through the book of Jonah. So here at week two, we find ourselves considering this next portion of the story. Uh, Last week, I presented this whole thing as being more than a story about a fish, more than a, a children's story, and that it's actually this powerful piece of literature designed to move past our defenses through comedic and narrative devices to give us some hard truth that I think we all need. We looked at the first three verses of the tale and we didn't get too far because we needed to actually start to play some context and consider the genre of the book before we step into it and how we're supposed to read it because it's really important. Once we have drawn ourselves into this story and once we move past the point that it's about more than a whale and a man, the writer can, can now talk to us about something even bigger. The idea that even our worst enemies are infinitely valued by God. So today, we're gonna be talking about being woke, Viva Las Vegas, and onward. Onward, there you go. We're gonna open up our time together with a reading from Jonah chapter one, verses four to 17. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? he shouted. Get up and pray to your god. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. 
O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Hey, it worked, Lucky. Hey. Hope you doing well. Goodbye. Thank you to our four that were able to read the scripture for us this morning and for leading us in that. I know that it's been a highlight for so many in our community just to see different faces involved and engaged in what we have going on here on Sunday mornings. I know I really enjoy it. So uh, this is just a privilege that we get. So thank you to the four that were able to read for us this morning. And as we can continue forward in the scripture, and as we consider what it means for us today, we just need to remember last week we saw that God gives Jonah an instruction, and Jonah does the exact opposite. God tells him to go northeast, and he goes southwest. He goes as far in the known world as possible to this place representing comfort and paradise, this five-star resort to distract himself from what God is actually calling and leading him into. And this in itself is really counterintuitive to what would have been the Jewish experience at the time. Time. This country wasn't particularly fond of anything to do with the ocean, anything to do with the sea. A lot of the narratives and imagery around it involve a lot of uh, brutality and struggle of leviathans and, and loss. That the, the water wasn't particularly appealing to the Jewish people, and yet it is used by Jonah to escape in this moment. And I don't know about you, but I haven't uh, driven nearly as much recently as I am prone to. And my gas bill has been thankful for that. And my car is just enjoying a little bit of a break. And maybe you've experienced this as well. But I have often found, now don't worry, I'm doing okay. But I've often found that when I go on a drive that I go on normally to, to work, um, to a friend's house. In, in Calgary, the, where I grew up, I really knew the city well. You grew up in a city, you know the roads, you know where you're going, and you don't really have to think twice about it. And I would have friends who live on the opposite side of the city, and I knew exactly how to get there. But there were times when I was driving and I would arrive home and I would think to myself, I have no idea really how I got here. I don't remember this turn or this turn or crossing this building, but I did, and I kind of zoned out in those moments and thank you Jesus I, I made it home but in that moment when I arrived home I couldn't recall particularly how I got there and this is sometimes how I even experience things at home where uh, cleaning is not my particular area of strength my, my roommates prior to getting married would attest to this uh, sorry guys I apologize but now my wife who is even more aware of this perhaps slight deficiency that I have is that I don't pay as much attention to the things in our home that need to be cleaned as, as she does. And uh, Adriana is so good at being gracious with me and paying attention to all the different ways that I can perhaps contribute in a more meaningful way. And so she'll, she'll ask me, hey, can you, can you take this out or can you do this? And, and I'll do it, but I'm not particularly mentally engaged. I'm, I'm not finding it overly stimulating. And maybe that's the reason why I'm not doing it. I'm not trying to make an excuse, but that could be a reason that I just, I do it. I don't find it particularly engaging or stimulating. It's something that needs to be done. And then when I sit down and she asks me, 
later, did you actually do it? I have to think twice to myself, did I go and actually do this thing that I was asked to do? I don't remember specifically, like taking the garbage and the recycling. We've got a great situation at our place where we could go take it down to a, a general area and I go put it away and I break down the boxes and I put them in the respective spots and then I come upstairs and she asked me, did, did you take those things? Or thanks for doing that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I actually did it. And it's interesting how the human body and psyche is so amazing that we can do really sophisticated physical operations and be completely checked out. And this happens especially in parts of our lives that can become really routine. Sometimes we can live perpetually in a state of disengagement when our life is purely routine. And, and this first chapter of Jonah is revealing this in a lot of different ways, how, how this is how we can become even within our spiritual lives. And, and, in, and in some ways, this is the, like the idea of being woke. And this was a, a, a term that became more popularized recently and has to do specifically with, with injustices that we find in society, racial injustice in particular, where there are things outside of what we normally do and normally see and normally experience that we need to be aware of so that we can actually engage in society in a meaningful way. And I would make the same contention for how we need to experience our spiritual life, that we so make it such a routine in our everyday experience that when we make it overly so, we no longer can pay attention to the creative imagination of God that wants us to experience the fullness of his love in a new and meaningful way every single day. That he's calling us to renew our minds daily. He's calling us to learn of his ways daily. In every moment, there's an opportunity to discover the imagination of God in a new way. But spiritual apathy and disengaging from all that's going on around us is something that happens to the best of us. And Jonah, in chapter one as a whole, is, is in many ways a portrait of spiritual apathy. It explores why and how and what is happening to us when we are asleep at the wheel spiritually. This image of asleep is really important in this chapter. So let's jump into it where the, where the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea and there's this mighty tempest upon the sea so the ship threatened to break up. And this is, this is another really, uh, supposed to be a comedic or comic image in this moment because in Hebrew, the, the ship isn't just, the idea of it isn't just breaking up. The Hebrew word for it actually kind of animates the ship. It gives it a little bit of a personality as if the ship is pondering whether or not it should break up into pieces. It's like the ship is considering whether or not, oh, is this a good time that I should break up? It, it just keeps it fun. It keeps it light. So the ship is pondering whether it should break up into pieces. And then we find that Jonah is actually asleep. And the sailors aren't asleep. They're, they're actually yelling, they're, they're throwing their, their own livelihood over their side and, and notice that they're on alert to what is happening here and they're doing what they can to help the situation, including praying. To whom? Uh, to, to all kinds of different gods. And so they kind of take a shotgun approach to it and they, don't rec they recognize that it isn't a normal storm, that there's like a divine nature to it. And this is a polytheistic group of 
of sailors at the time. This is outside of the monotheistic Jewish tradition. And they take a shotgun approach to prayer where pray, they pray to all the different gods that they have at the time because they don't know which one they made mad in this process. And what is Jonah doing? What is this man of God doing? This one who is running in the opposite direction. He is actually asleep. He had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. And there's, there's this word play that's going on here where it says that he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the depths of the ship and he lays down and he falls into this deep sleep in the belly of the ship. Where is this religious prophet, this man of God? He is slowly descending into a state of literal and spiritual slumber. And this, this is a powerful portrait of down, 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 where the author is depicting how sin leads Jonah to this numb, deadened, unaware state. Sometimes I think we get the wrong idea about a relationship with God. That somehow it blinds us to the reality of the world around us. But a true relationship with Jesus, one that we are desiring to follow his ways and live into the story that he is telling into the world is actually going to help us be a little more woke. It's going to increase our awareness of the world around us because the propensity of humanity is not to think of all that is around you, but to only think of what is that, of all that is within you. He runs from God and, and, and he knows that somehow his God, Yahweh, is going to find a way to bring them to repentance and to forgive them. And Jonah thinks that the world is a better place with them not forgiven and annihilated. So, so that is his failure, his, his sin. What this choice does is it causes him to descend into this stupor. It's like this sleep drug that begins to deaden his sentence. It's this high-end sleep drug that is subtly starting to take over all that he's doing. And this is one of the most subtle ways in which sin infiltrates our life. That we often think of sin as a roaring lion looking to devour every part of our life. And we pay attention to the things that are blaring all around us. When in fact, it often attacks the things that make us so beautifully human and made in the image of God. It begins to deaden our senses and awareness of the world around us. It deadens our, our awareness of others. It deadens our compassion. It deadens our empathy and our drive and this stupor, this downward progression that we're sent upon is this growing separation between us and God. And Jonah is experiencing this growing separation, what he thinks, between himself and God because as he walks in his competing vision of life, his awareness of, his, of everything around him is deadening and he's falling farther and farther away from actually experiencing what God wants him to get. And that's new life. And now all of a sudden, Jonah, he, he's in this scenario and, and there's havoc and danger all around him and he's blissfully unaware of what is going on. This is a massive image, an image of what sin does to us on the inside. Because who suffers as a result of Jonah's spiritual apathy? Because in reality, at this moment, Jonah feels great. He's having a killer nap. He feels blissfully unaware in many ways. 
Everyone around him, on the other hand, the sailors and the captain, well, well they are the ones being impacted. And this is really insightful, that his sin, his selfishness, his competing visions of life has led him into this state where he's so totally unaware of people around him that he doesn't even recognize he's bringing ruin to them. That Jonah has become this relational wrecking ball in the people's lives around him and he's so unaware and dulled by his apathy that he's lacking any awareness. And this is a profound nature of sin and its consequences in our life. And what we, when we kind of hear this in the Western world, well, we think that this is kind of weird and it's because our idea of morality is very individually centered. But we, and we kind of have like this Jimmy Cricket type conscious to be our guide and Jiminy Cricket is hanging on our shoulder and we kind of mold Jiminy to feel and look and, and experience the world so that we can experience it and that's our, our way in which we kind of see morality work out. And we have this narrative go all the way through culture where we even think about the marketing terms that are shared with us. Uh, where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, or, or even better, the phrase which is so ridiculous that what they don't know can't hurt them. That it's my private decision and it doesn't involve anyone else. And we have this privatized, individualized, normal, moral view and what scriptures and what Jonah 1 does is it exposes this approach to living to be utterly naive and simplistic. And this mindset and approach to life only leads us to be ignorant, unaware individuals on the lower deck of a sinking ship in the middle of a brutal storm. Spiritual apathy takes hold of our lives and makes us a living contradiction. And this is the contradiction that the sailors see. That they ask him, like, where are you from? What are you doing? Uh, what nationality are you? Which is an odd question to ask, but that's the one that Jonah chooses to answer. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship Jehovah God, and, and I, I, I worship Yahweh, and he's the God of the land and the sea. And they're thinking to themselves, what is this guy talking about? He told us he's running from his God. The author kind of sneaks in this thought as if they were back on the pier about to leave and they're going through customs and Jonah comes up to the customs guy and he's like, is this business or is this pleasure? And Jonah says, ah, it's not really either. I'm running from God. And the guy's like, oh, okay, then we'll let you through. And all the sailors have been avoiding him, but they know that he's running from God. And now he tells them that he's chosen to run from his God, who is the Lord and the creator of the land and the sea. There's a very clear contradiction between what he thinks, what he says, and what he's actually doing. Spiritual apathy has made him a living contradiction. And this is something that the sailors see right away. They're like, what are you doing? They were terrified. What have you done? There's this great quote from Mahatma Gandhi where he says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And, and I found this so convicting this week. That, that you and I, we, we can do this so often where we can celebrate serving uh, the poor and doing all that is so like needed in our city, but we can only do it when it's convenient. We, we celebrate people coming to discover life in Jesus and are super excited when it happens, but have we really invited anyone to church to sit with us? 
We, we celebrate those videos of kindness and generosity. You know, the ones that pop up on Facebook and we should toss a like down and be like, I'm a good person. I like the same things and I think that because I like that, I'm a good person and I'm showing kindness in that way. But have we actually chosen to show kindness to people on an intentional manner throughout our days in meaningful ways? And not just to people that we like, but people that we hate, people that Jesus invites us to actually show grace and forgiveness to. We say God is gracious, but yet we are so quick to bestow judgment. We say God is forgiving, but yet we hold on to bitterness. The byproduct of a hypocritical Jonah is that he misses out on how God wants to use him in the lives of those other people on the boat. That he's so spiritually unaware he can't even see it. And Jonah has done what we all do sometimes, and that's, that's this, that we tend to hang on to pain and disappointment and hatred longer than is healthy for us. And we can't imagine a moment outside of the one that we are currently experiencing. And we turn our disappointment into our whale and we put all of our attention on the disappointment so much so that we can't see anything beyond it. And we run and we become unaware and we fall into this stupor where we don't actually operate in any kind of relationship with God and relationship with others. And we start to believe that the particular moments that we find ourselves, the disappointment that we've experienced, is the only moment that we will ever have. And this is the trap that Jonah finds himself in. He's disappointed in the fact that God is asking him to go to preach to people he hates. But there's no indication that these sailors fall into that category of people he hates. But yet Jonah can't let go of the disappointments and the hatred and the hurt that he has in his heart so that he could be even used by God in a moment where there's an opportunity right in front of him. The, the deep hurt of disappointment is how it robs us of imagination in our lives. Uh, during this past few weeks, I've watched way more TV than I normally do. We watch more movies and Netflix, and that's just part of the reality that we're in right now, that we get a little bored and we, we toss something on. But one movie that we did watch recently that I really enjoyed, and I will confess, did bring me to a, have a, a, a couple tears shed because it had a, a great moment at the end of it. But it's called Onward, so I'm not gonna spoil it because it's a newer movie, but one of the things that Pixar does, and some of these animated do so, films do so well, is that they bring these really adult themes of forgiveness and of, of reconciliation, of, of healing, and, and of discovering what family can really look like, and they bring all of these really important themes to us, even as adults as we're watching, in these really creative, imaginative ways. And in this movie onward, there is this consistent uh, tone of like disappointments, whether it was disappointment with how we perceive ourselves or how we perceive our families or things that we'd hoped for and things that we wanted. And I'm not gonna spoil the movie like I said, but there's this thread of disappointment that is constantly confronted by this narrative of imagination. 
Every time disappointment comes to the forefront, imagination is used to discover how it does not have to be the final narrative in the story. And this is not an uncommon thing that's done in the, in the Pixar world, that it uses this tone of imagination to shape the story in a really beautiful way. And I, and I love how it does it so powerfully. And I think that this is actually something for us to discover in our stories, where we can get so caught up as our disappointment, as our final narrative, that we can't think beyond the moment. That we make it our final story. When God is actually inviting us to have a creative imagination beyond what we are currently experiencing, to see what's going on around us, to get a little more woke, to be a little more aware, to move past the selfish ways in which we experience the world, to have that move past that Vegas mentality and face our disappointment with that onward imaginative approach. But when disappointment fosters discouragement and discouragement leads to disobedience, we have let our feelings become our foundation rather than our faith. God is inviting us into a new story of new life in the world because he has the best in store for each and every one of us. God doesn't want us to go to church on Sundays to, to, so that he can forgive us. He wants us to go to church and be part of community to discover that we're already forgiven. God doesn't want us to, to read the Bible so that we can be loved. He wants us to read it so that we can discover how over and over the narrative of God is unconditional love so that we can discover that and receive that into our lives. That he doesn't want us to pray so that he can show grace and show forgiveness, but he wants us to pray so that we can receive that grace and show it to others so that we can take it within all that we have and translate that into the world around us. The things that God invites us to do are so much more than what we can currently see, but when we place our trust into him, when we become a little more woke in placing our awareness outside of ourselves, when we understand how disappointment is something we've held on to for far too long and we need to let it go, we're going to discover how God is actively restoring the world all around us and saying, now is your chance to be part of it. That you might have missed the last point, but I'm here with you right now. Oh, you missed this one? I'm here with you right now. Because he is always in the most unexpected of places, inviting us to participate in the restoration of the world and in the people that are around us every single day. This is the beauty of Jesus, that we can be all of those things, none of those things, one of those things, whatever those areas that we are struggling with or carrying or falling short in, God is always pursuing us even in the midst of us running away. That God is always inviting us even when we can't even recognize it. And I imagine we all see ourselves somewhere in this story this morning the contradiction between what we say and what we actually do, that Vegas approach. The ways that, we, that we're not even aware of how sin is deepening our apathy and our unawareness of the world and it's becoming a wrecking ball for relationships in our lives and it's that idea of being woke um, and the deep hurt of disappointment and it's robbery of imagination in our lives and how that Pixar approach in, in Onward can be a beautiful way to see past the disappointment and discover hope. God is waiting in the spaces that we least expected. And the gut punch nature of this story isn't meant to invoke shame and guilt, 
but it is to say that God has always planned to rescue you. I love how it says that in the verse, that God planned to send the fish. God has always planned to rescue you. That he knows how our sin leads us and it drowns us. How our disappointment cripples us, how our hypocrisy blinds us, and yet, even when our thousand wrong decisions hurt people around us and destroy confidence within us, he is not ready to give up. And he still says, I choose to save you. So this morning, I invite you. We're going to pray. Father, thank you for the ways in which you pursue us and work within our lives, even when we don't expect it or see it. Um, For everyone who's a part of this today, I just pray that you would meet them where they're at. And some of these conversations we've had about the contradictions in our lives or uh, lacking awareness and dealing with disappointments, all these areas are so heavy. And I just pray that you would give us the courage to have a conversation with, with one another and with you, that you would show us your grace in the most unexpected of ways and give us an imagination to see beyond the particular moment and discover your grace within our lives. Uh, just give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.